Nobody went to school for sales. Each of us has our own journey, a journey that ultimately reveals the two opposing forces, the art versus science, the relationships versus the metrics, selling versus sales. What side are you on? This is the Love Selling, Hate Sales podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. Today, I am joined by Chris Daly, who is the Chief Marketing Officer and President at TBG Consulting. Chris, thanks for joining. Hey, Josh, how are you? It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm doing really well. So uh, we were we were chatting a little bit pre-show about your journey through the uh, payments world to what now is TBG Consulting. Um, we had we had connected on LinkedIn. What is it? A week or two ago, I had posted a topic about the future of outbound with another guest on the show, and we were talking a little bit about maybe we should leverage our executives better to do the door opening because oftentimes what we see is we put these junior reps, SDRs, whatever you want to call them out on the front line and expect them to have a business level conversation with a senior executive. And I'm not sure how that actually works out, but uh, you resonated with that message and said you ran it somewhere at one of your former companies. Yeah. So it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I worked for a company called Build Me Later a number of years ago. And uh, one of the jobs that we had was trying to prime the pump, if you will. So how do we get our executives, our sales teams in front of the right people to yeah. uh, to purchase the payment mark. And so this is, you know, 2006, give or take. So, you know, at the time, LinkedIn is still a relatively new thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and most people thought, well, all I do is I get on LinkedIn and I get sold, which, you know, that does happen. Still is the case. Still the case. Um, some of the pitches are not any better than they were <laughs> 20 years ago. So, um, but we would get in and we would profile. We would look at who do we know that's already a client of ours? How can they help grease the skids of getting in the door to meet somebody else? Yeah. And then we could either have either a senior executive in the organization reach out to them. Uh, that could be the CEO, it could be the VP of marketing, VP of sales, et cetera, or it could be one of the salespeople. Uh, and so what we did is we would profile them and we would look at, you know, where have you worked before? What are your interests? We would learn things from LinkedIn. We would learn things from your website, yeah. post the content. And so we would profile those people. And the reason why is because, you know, inbound as a concept really wasn't there. No, not then. Everything was outbound. Yeah. Uh, and so it's kind of an interesting thing is inbound has gotten a lot of attention now and, you know, demand generation, et cetera. Outbound still has a place because, those of you who are waiting for people to come and convert on inbound, I'm busy going taking them on outbound. So yeah, exactly. You might want to make sure that you're 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 getting their customers and pulling them in. So it was an interesting process of profiling and understanding them, so that when we sat down in the room with them, sales might have had one or two conversations with them, but we sat down in the room like we've known each other for years. That's and amazing that's how the conversations went. It really made it a lot easier to talk, um, particularly when you would say things like. Um, you would use testimonials now. Mm -hmm. We would get referrals from companies and that are run by people who are already using the mark that they know. So that's it's really the process. It wasn't very difficult to do. It's something that SDRs can do if yeah. they need to, where they can sit down and mine through LinkedIn and say, who else do these people know? It's it's interesting to me too. It's one of the one pieces of data I think that LinkedIn guards religiously is who you're connected to. Yeah. Right? If you wanted to get that as a data element, you can't get that like. And that'd be really good. So you can on the premium versions. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that the larger networks too are, are different. Oh, yeah. Right? You're connected to them, but who are they connected to? Who are they connected to? You don't yeah, that's super tough. see that. And that's yeah. the piece where you're like, wow, I could see, oh, I didn't know, you know, person the next over in 
you know, company ABC knows you, you went to college together. Right, right. That's huge. That's the easy way in, right? So you can leverage those relationships. And that's what we did. Um, We used our placemats and we would sit down and go through all the different organizations to see, you know, who was a, a, you know, had a competitor already in there, who didn't have a competitor in there. Right. About addressing those markets. So is that something that the sales rep then could quarterback that process, right? You had a format that you used, a template, and then you had dedicated time with the executives to kind of go through the, the targets for the week or talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So every, every presentation was different, um, okay. particularly when we were doing, we had enterprise mid-market and then sort of self-serve. We have people who come and self-serve. So product-led growth was in place, you know, well before it was probably pre-product-led PG. growth, right? Right. You know, uh, the mid-market had a group, but they didn't have as much support as the enterprise. It was the enterprise ones that we were really trying. And to give you an example uh, the company signed Amazon. It took over five years to sign Amazon. Wow. So, but it was actually Jeff Bezos that signed it. So that's kind of cool. Wow. That's a very cool story. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting one. But th- the same thing happens is what would happen is for me, I worked in the direct response vertical. So the direct response vertical were basically omni-channel marketers who had catalogs. Like yep. Mailed catalogs. Mailed catalogs. Uh, e-commerce. Hey, they're still there. There's still people sending them. Uh, e-commerce and maybe a retail store. Sure. And so what we did is we would go in and we would profile them. Who's the person that we wanted to contact? And then we had a custom story for them. And that story for most of the ones that I was looking at was how do I change your average order value from, you know, $72 to $272 right. using promotional financing. And this is how it works. And we would talk about how fluent people would use other people's money. So at the time, Interesting. The only later could use things like a 12 month, no payments, no interest. And so we actually, it was part of my experience using the mark itself that uh, a very affluent individual made a $50,000 purchase. Ooh. CEO of the company came in and said, what was that? And I'm like, I don't know. I had to go look. And I thought, well, that was building later. And it was a billionaire who came along and we worked at, I worked at a luxury uh, marketing company at the time. Right. And they, they were qualified. And so they got so when I shared that story with Billy, they were like, you should come tell other people how this works. And so as we talk about customizing to clients in order to get them to convert, it's stories like that. that yeah. Because they're like, oh, that's how that works. When they see that, you know, our solution was easier to implement than the competitors, you know, everything else from there just went like that. Yeah. So it was really about profiling. It was really about understanding who they are. It was about creating custom presentations to them about a pain point that they had that we could solve. That's what yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember the the advisory firm Topo before they were acquired by Gartner a couple of years ago, but I remember I went to one of their demand gen councils. Um, you know, they always did these posh events. And I remember the analyst, you know, the, the topic was ABM. They're like, well, you know, what do you do to make ABM successful? And it was really along the line. My biggest takeaway was along the lines of what you just said, show them the end game yeah. sooner. Right. Like get them to the end now, even if it's only 80% of the way there. Well, and if you think about ABM and you think about e-commerce and you think about what Bill Miller was doing. Yeah. I mean, there was a list already made for you. It's called the uh, Internet Retailer Top 500. There you That's go. List. Thanks. We got it. Yeah, <laughs> There's exactly. nobody else. Right. So we're going after them. Those are the ones that are enterprise. Those are mid-market and everybody else. You know, there are millions and millions and millions of small businesses that could take the payment mark, but it didn't make sense for us to spend time going after them. They have right. 
product like growth. But the ones that were over you know $20 million in, in volume, those were the ones that we went after. And so we had mid-market enterprise, et cetera. And even the enterprise, when you looked at that list, it was you know maybe 50 companies, something right. like that. They were really, really, really high, and they would take a lot more hand-holding to get them there. It was storytelling. I mean, companies like LLB, and I think we met with them mm-hmm. like six times before they finally <laughs> said yes. Yeah. It took a long time for them. And others, we met with them, they're like, I don't know why we're not doing this. That's crazy. Neither do we. So, so it works. It works really well when you understand. And, and even from an ABM perspective, there are segments within your ABM, right? So we yeah. have people who sold furnishings. We hold, have people who sold apparel. Right. Zappos sold shoes, right? So right. the use cases are different in them and how they might use it. But if you want to try and drive AOV, because part of what we would talk about is the lift shift retain model. Mm-hmm. You can lift the improvement of a customer. You can shift them from someone else or you can retain them at a you know high level. And so we talked about lift a lot. How can right. we lift these people up? Um, and it, it resonated. So uh, yeah, it's, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was an interesting thing. It was very, very fast paced. Uh, building there was a very fast paced uh, growth company that got acquired in 2008. So yeah, it's incredible. Years. Yeah. Because you think about, you know, everyone today is talking about personalization and ABM, personalization and this, and it seems to get lost in terms of like what that really means. Yeah. And granted, 20 years later, there's a lot more data signals and data clues available than maybe there was in 2006. But most companies still don't have the bandwidth to leverage it the right way. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they're going to walk in and say, wow, how's your son Gabriel doing? I mean, that's right. like creepy. That's you're super cool. creepy. Yeah. You don't know that. Right. Um, but there may be things like, hey, I see that you're a Buckeye fan, right? Hey, I see right. that you like golf. You know, there's golf. Yeah. Right. So, so you see a few things where you're, oh, I, I see that you play golf. I mean, you ever play here, you know, play yeah. in the Canyon. Right. Those conversations just make things at ease. And the, the universal truth, I think, is that people buy from people they know and they trust. Right. And, and building trust means they have to kind of know you. And that's a connection. So you try and connect with people. And if you do that through, hey, we play golf, you know, we've got a thing coming up for some of our clients if you want to come out in Tonic Canyon, whatever. We're going to go yeah. Um, and so I think that's the personalization that needs to happen. It also has to be understanding the pay points. Um, yeah. For me, most of the ones I looked at have furniture. So if we went to, say, um, Pottery Barn and said, okay, you know, we want to move you up here, you, you did something else. There was also a little bit of a, in the ABM, You'll have companies like uh, Pottery Barn and uh, one of their competitors, uh, you know, some some other furniture competitor, maybe Wayfair. They may say, "Hey, you know, don't tell them what we're doing." And so you got a little bit of that that runs in there. But so you try and put little firewalls in between. Yeah, you will. Uh, yeah, we won't talk to them, or I won't talk to them, but somebody else might. Right. Um, but when you go and personalize and customize the presentation and the conversation, it's so much easier to do. Um, it's it's just a casual conversation about. Here's what we can do for you. And here's what we think you'll see will be the results. So yeah, as you're talking, they should have data with us too. And that we we can sit down and they give us data on, you know, what are your furniture purchases look like and say, if we do this, you're going to move to here. Right. Uh, Probably within six months, you'll see it. And you'll be like, and when they see it within 30, 60 days, like, oh my God. So it's like right out of the gate, easy adoption because it was easy to sign up. That was the other thing about the building layer payment mark is you did you put in your last name uh last four of your social and your yep. phone number and that was it really wow like that yeah so that was really really different they actually patented that process that's incredible got it so 
yeah, as a, and I think understanding how consumers buy, understanding what our merchants needed, gave us the ability to go in and, and cast a really good story. And it worked really well. Yeah. I mean, a couple of great things I pulled out of that was, you know, one is I'm sitting here thinking, okay, we've got to build this trust framework, right? As we're going into and thinking about the accounts we want to go into. And the trust framework is two, two pronged. One is know the business, know the business pains, have those stories, right? Like have that 80% baked story there yes. that's going to resonate. And then the other side of it is the personal side. Like you said, interests, maybe not as deep as who are your kids and what are they going to, but like, general interest that you can use to weave those two together. So creating that trust framework is a way to open doors. Well, I mean, we say people buy, organizations pay. Sure. So, and it's kind of interesting to me because if you were to think about demographic profiling, you think about firmographics, you never think about the demographic profiling of your buyer. Who right. is this person and where are they maybe in the life stage? Maybe you're getting near to retirement. Maybe you're new in your job. Yeah. You don't really know those things. But that was part of our process. We could see if someone's new in a, in a company, like, oh, if you've got a new thing, you want to show them something new, here's something new. Right. Um, and and they're like, well, here's case studies, here's how it's worked. That it's, it was not hard to do. So, yeah. But that, and that understanding and that connection with people, um, just your ability to talk from a real perspective with them just makes it so much easier when you're having a sales conversation. It's conversational selling. It's not... You know, buy this. I've got to do this. Here's your deadline. If you don't do it this day, you don't get this. That stuff's gone. Uh, yeah. It's really more of a how do I help you solve your problems? Yeah. Well, it's, it's super interesting. Opportunities. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, think about it. We don't really know each other, right? And right. we got on the phone. What was the first thing I said to you? Buckeyes. Yeah. And then how long did that conversation go before we got into what we were going to talk about? About 10 minutes went from Buckeyes to fishing and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> it's. It's really that easy, right? And I feel like I know you a little bit now. I mean, we're not like fast friends or anything, but I know you. Like I, we could have and, a conversation. And I think that's exactly the point, right? We're not besties or anything like that, but yeah. we have casual conversations on LinkedIn. We have a casual conversation here. Yeah. And it's easier for you to get into a mood where you're like, you know what? I trust this person. If he had something to offer, I, I can write that stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that works. Super cool. And then the other big takeaway I had from your story there was again, going back to that 80, 20, the idea of getting them 80% of the way there, but Hey, listen, if you talk to me, I can show you like the real magic and that idea of building that business case. Give me a little bit of data now that we're building that trust framework and let me show you what that lift could look like. And then that's like the next level of, of bringing it around. Yeah. Sometimes people go, that can't be real. And we're like, <laughs> right. Wait until you see it. <laughs> You're know, like, oh, and you know, the, the $50,000 transaction was one of the largest that they ever did, honestly. Yeah. And but even they, when I told Bill, they went back and looked. They're like, did we really do that? Like, crazy, right? I'm like, here it is. And they're like, holy cow. They even they didn't know that something like that could happen because they didn't put any cap on the credit line. It right. was, what are you worth uh, for the transaction that you had, not some credit line that's available in the future? It's today and only today. And so that's why it worked. And uh, yeah, it was a very, very powerful tool. It was fun. It was fun to talk to people. We talked to tons and tons of people across the country about it. And, uh, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why Amazon finally got in there instead of a few other folks were picking it up. And yeah, and I think eBay, PayPal, they probably heard eBay, PayPal was coming towards us as well. <laughs> it stop them. So, uh, but yeah, it was a good experience. And, but, you know, again, the more that you can connect with people, it doesn't have to be that you're the best friends in the world or anything like that, but just having a casual conversation with them makes it so much easier to sell and close. Completely. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
speaking of like, oh, I lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever. It, it happens. So, yeah, I mean, even you, you mentioned the idea of, you know, people not believing, right? You show them that lift, right? And, and not being believing. But I, I, I took, I spent some time a while back trying to validate, like, what do executives believe in a business case, right? Like, if you build one, how willing are they to actually accept it and believe it? And there's a couple things I learned. One, so my younger brother is a restaurant executive, like very high up. And he said, executives love the excitement of opportunity. So don't ever shy away from showing them opportunity. So that was the one thing. And the other part of it was your baselines better be good. Otherwise, everything else goes out the window. So if they look at their baseline numbers and say, that's not us, the conversation's over. So it is a little bit of a double-edged sword. I had a very interesting conversation uh, with a client. Jeez, this is probably 20 years ago now. Yeah. And uh, an executive walked in and sat down and we were talking about how we were able to save this client money by doing these things. And right. Said, I appreciate that. But this is a $17 billion company. I know how to save money. Show me how to make more make money. money. Have my attention. Yeah. And that guy was Les Wexner, the owner of Limited Brands. Wow. So of course we were like, heard you. <laughs> Got totally. it. You know? So you change your perspective on how you go about things. You're not talking about how I can save you money. I'm talking about how I can help you grow. How yeah. can I help you acquire customers, retain customers, cross-sell customers? Right. We talk about all those things. And that's that's kind of the mentality. But it get, you get the feedback from people and you're like, that makes perfect sense. And nine times out of 10, when someone's coming and saying, here's how I can save you money, you should also be saying, here's how I show you make it. Because that's really the name of the game is how do I make money? And it's up to me to control my costs. And, you know, and I'll figure yeah. it out. Yeah. So. And it's such a, like, you know, you could only hockey stick for so long. Right. So when you get into the enterprise, like you were talking about, you know, selling into these massive enterprises, if they're a $5 billion company, they're not going to have hundred percent growth next year. Right. No. They're no. looking for growth levers. If you can show them 2%, 3%, that's a big deal. Well, well, consider, consider using a payment mark where I can give you six months to pay no payments, no interest at the end of six months, you pay it off. You're good. Right. And you want to start furniture. Right. Right. I, I've just given you a new category that you can grow, not just that you're apparel, but now you're doing furnishings. And I've given you a vehicle to do that where people are like, oh, wait, I can try this. And yeah, yeah. so those things work. And if you understand how those businesses work, it's much easier to give them that case and say, this is how it works. With other people in furnishings, this is what you should expect to see. Uh, here's what the adoption. We can even sit down and say, based on different types of buyers in your portfolio, here's who's going to adopt it, who's not, right. and what they're going to spend at, because we have that insight. And so yeah. sharing that with them really helps them sit down and go, that's my dog, uh, Miller. So that helps them understand, you know, how do I get it, put my you know foot into that slipper and, and off we go. So That's a good point though, the, just the, the simplicity of sharing insight. Like it may not always be easy to gather, but as an outsider, you have perspective that they may not have, right? You get tunnel vision in your own business. You, you do. You tend to get tunnel vision in a, in a business where you're like, well, this is what everybody else is doing. Like, right. And what everybody else is doing isn't always good for you. And it's really not a focus on what your customer needs. Um, and so when you sit down and think about the business objectives you have, where I want to launch you know, a new category that's a higher end you know, price point, how am I going to get them to buy that? When right. they normally buy $75, I want them to buy $275 or $375. Well, now I have a tool that allows them to do that. So, right. 
it's it's understanding how the consumer behaves with their business using your tool that makes a lot of magic. There's a lot yeah. of magic there because they're like, does that really happen? Like, well, here's the different companies that did it. So yeah. That's crazy. There must have been a lot of magic in that back end of qualifying a person because <laughs> Is it magic? I don't know if it's magic. Sometimes it felt a little, felt a little sketchy at times. Yeah. But we, I mean, you just go through and you, you look at who they are and what they're trying to do. Are you new in an organization? If you're a new CMO or a new yeah. marketing, a new director of marketing, you're looking for an advantage somewhere in a highly competitive market. That's what we do. We, we yeah. give you advantages in markets with your customers that other people don't have. So get on it. So I'm curious. After time, everybody has it. So now it's like, if you don't get it, you're going to get it. Right. You're going to be left behind. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, you know, we're talking about a 2006, 2008 timeframe. And, you know, we read all the research and studies that say buying committees have grown exponentially five, six, seven, eight people in the enterprise. What are you seeing? Is that, is that the truth compared to then and now, or is it somewhat different? You know, it really depends on what you're selling, right? So I'll give you a great example from just like about a year and a half ago. Yeah. My dog needs love. It's like, oh yeah. No problem. Bring them in. So, uh, and, and this company is a, it's a very large utility company. I mean, it's multi-billion dollar utility yeah. company. And I was working with a client that's selling leadership programs. And in the end, it came down to one person, one person. And that one person was like, well, if we do this purchase and the price isn't here, then it slips under this budget like this. So yeah, we can do this. Right. But the training program that they had when they got it, they were like, holy cow. And there was one client that used this training program, this leadership program. They said, you know what we love about this is that we used to have people that got electrocuted and now they don't because they communicate better. <laughs> like, I'm not sure if that's going to be in the case study or not. But okay. Um, you know, so, but there were use cases there that we didn't understand. Right. But the buying process, it, can it be very complicated? Yes. An enterprise, it could take months and months and months. Yeah. Or can be instant. And when it's instant, it's down to how well do you know that person? What's the relationship? Have you established? Have you built right. trust with them to where they trust you that you're going to deliver what you say you can deliver? And off you go. So, yeah. And that does happen. And it happens in large organizations. But I think it is also about the price point, right? Mm-hmm. If you're talking a million dollar, you know, three or five year investment, that's not that bad for a $40 billion company. Totally. Right. Yeah, so not, not at if all. If you're talking about a $2 billion investment for a 40 billion, yeah, you've got committees all over the place. So yeah, that's and, and that's well. that's simple upfront qualification just on the business and your solution, what the use cases are, how it applies. Like, I mean, yeah. that's that's work you can do without talking to anybody. Well, and in, in that instance, that company sells uh, leadership programs, but what they're really doing is changing behaviors on how people communicate. Right. And the outcome isn't just better communications. It was safety. People were safer. Right. They were getting electrocuted, which is always a good thing. Right. Um, and, and, and when you have that, your OSHA rating gets better, all of a sudden you attract people to the business. So it actually helped you acquire customers. Interesting. Employees and stuff. There's a lot of different ways that those tools can work for people. And understanding those levers that you can sort of pull and say, well, we can help you improve recruiting because you have the best OSHA rate because you communicate better. Yeah, I, I, I love that. Just identifying levers in the business that that you can pull with your solution and, and making it super simple, right? Like yeah. making the complex simple, I think, is another thing that resonates well with executives. Yeah, I think I think sometimes uh, someone was talking about a sales opportunity the other day and I was like, oh my God, is that super complex? And I was like, holy wow. Um, and I'm just like, if you break this into very simple things, though, it's much, much easier to do uh, right. to get, get people to just connect. And, you know, there's all sorts of ways that you can get those connections too. 
in the leadership company, they had a public workshop and one of the executives from the utility went, you know, 750 bucks to, to sit and pay and learn about the leadership behaviors. They walked out of there going, that's the thing we need. Yeah. Right? And they walked in and said, we need to do this. And that was it. You know, Crazy. the dollar contract comes along for three years. You know, it's, it changes those businesses and you can do that. It, it just depends on how you connect with the people. Yeah. And when they really got a chance to actually sample the product, much easier to do. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. So I want to circle back quickly to a concept. And I was just thinking about it all the way back to the beginning. And we were talking about how the outbound motion went in terms of building those relationships. And something that really stood out was the idea that really you were looking for referrals, right? It wasn't necessarily like a cold executive outreach, right? But I, I think exactly. I think that gets it's it, people sleep on that a lot, right? And I'll give you an example. Like right now, I'm in a pretty heavy pipeline build mode. I'm not out cold calling executives. Like I am connecting dots, pulling trees, trying to find where a door opener can be for a real, like you said, conversation that's trusted that much more because someone else said, said, Hey, well, right. So people buy from people they trust and know. Right. And if that person happens to be your friend, who's like, yeah, we're using that and you should do that too. Right. Exactly. Say, and, and, it, those referrals are extremely important because they yeah. increase the skids and you move very fast in those organizations. Yeah. If Fred says this is right. It's gotta be right. Let's go. You know, there's yeah. not a whole lot of selling going on. They trust in the advice that they're getting from their colleagues. And, and it, if you listen to some of the things that are going on in the marketing, we talk a lot about community. So mm -hmm. imagine if you had a community of people, it's, this is run with utilities. You have a community of people who work in utilities talking about safety. It's the number one issue for them. Right. How do we improve safety? And this one guy goes, we use this company that does better communications and leadership Done. here. Done. Right. That's how fast it can work. And that's the power that they're talking about in community because Believe it or not, that community actually does exist. Yeah. Um, and so I believe they, it. there are executives that talk. And, and even though they may be competing in some ways, safety is paramount to all of them. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's things like that where if you can find an SDR that can sit down and profile and help understand how to, how to reach those people and build those communities of referrals, yeah. their sales are going to go like that because it's really easy to do. Um, and it's the value of, well, would you recommend us? That comes off so cold. Right. And it's like, do you know anybody else who might be interested in this? Yeah, exactly. Different question, right? Oh, yeah. And I think better. that we need to get sales leadership better at teaching that because it's still very mechanical and old school inputs and outputs, like well, thinking a part, little bit more. Part of that came across with automation. A lot of the automation yeah. clouded those actual true relationships and while automation allows you to do a volume of things, didn't necessarily allow you to do it at quality. Better, that, yeah. That's part of the problem because uh, that quality does matter. If you get the right person, they could refer 10 different companies to you, make your number for the year, you call one person. Exactly. Like, exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 So, no, yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. It's a, it's a great skill. It's one of the things that if you're talking to leaders and uh, who are leading sales organizations is to just get them to understand how to train SDRs to have conversations with people. Don't get, I mean, they're going to get antsy. I know they have numbers that they have to meet. And sure. It's stressful. Um, but at the same time, building those relationships over time, it will convert. It's a, it's a different way of demand generation, if you will, but it's relationship building and it does work. And yeah. it works very well. Totally. No, I, I totally agree. So talk to us a little bit about TBG marketing. What's, what's your business all about? 
So we've been working with management consultants now, um, okay. and I have an interesting, I have a soft spot for some, right? So I'm getting a little older. I'm 54, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm 54 coming up. Holy yeah. Gosh, so as you get older, there's, there's, there's a thing called ageism. People may not want to believe it, but there is an ageism thing out there. So there, I was, I'm actually writing a post right now. There's two different types of entrepreneurs. Uh, those who do it because they have a great idea, those who do it because they have to. Um, And so I run into those people all the time and and they, they're a little, you know, they may have been kicked out like in the pandemic, lots of people lost their jobs. A lot of people like Gen X, et cetera, are sitting there going, I don't know what to do 10 years before I retire. So we talk about here's how you build a business on what you know. Um, And so it's what you know, who you know, and how do you leverage that and building content streams, et cetera, and revenue streams from that. So we spent a lot of time consulting on that. My, sales process is different than everybody else. It's a, it's really the same as building an audience, et cetera. Yeah. I do a lot of that. But the, the conversations, if you look at some of the blog posts I have, people or the posts on LinkedIn, they're like, holy cow, that's detailed. I'm like, that's the point. That's right? great. I can show you exactly how to do this. And it works. And that it resonates with them when they see details versus snippets. So it's like, yeah. you should have a contract. Well, no, sh- yeah, you know, everybody should have a contract. <laughs> yeah. But it's like you should have a contract that has a limitation on liability. Does this. Right. We had a guy go, Can I see that? I'm like, totally yeah, send it to you. Yeah. yeah. So those are things I learned along the way. And I can help people do that. And that's what the organization does. When I started it in 2011, um, I had learned from TCO that there's this global workspace out there that I hadn't right. really thought about. And I've got tons of people. So it's a completely virtual organization that Very I've cool. been building for the last year. So I have content writers. I have everything at my disposal I need. And they're all contractors. And I'm like, Incredible. It's, it's the ultimate freedom, right? You can run and build a business. You have all these people that work for you and do good work. And, yeah. Yeah. To serve the needs of your customers and off you go. So incredible. Where do they find you? Uh, they find me on LinkedIn. They'll find me on Twitter. I've been playing with Reddit lately because Reddit's funny. I mean, I actually did go to TikTok. I will tell you, I spent the last two months on TikTok. Wow, how did that, that experience go? I think I laughed every day at TikTok. I just do it just for the laughter. There is some That's funny stuff on TikTok. Um, how you use it for a B2B is, I have a couple of ideas on yeah. it. B2C is easy. It's a, it's a no-brainer on B2C. Right. B2B piece is a little trickier. Um but they're there. I mean, there's an opportunity there. So uh, most of the stuff I've been doing is on LinkedIn. I'll keep building that up for a while. As long as the algorithm keep kicking me every day. Yeah. Uh, but I, I tell people, build your audience in multiple places um, and even potentially your own. Um, for that management consultancy, they spend a lot of time um, working with educators, teaching children how to manage the response to different events. Interesting. And I said, you, what you ought to do is build a community specifically for them, not in Twitter, not in Facebook, right? Where you have them and all they get is their content and they can share their content with each other. There you go. Lesson plans on how to deliver books for children on how do I, how do I manage my response? And when you look at what's happening in education today, communities like that are really important because it helps the educators, you know, feel like they're doing the right thing. So, so we teach all those types of things. It's, it's fun. That's how people find us. That's mm-hmm. awesome. To yeah. the communities. All right. Well, yeah. if you're if you're not in one of those communities, find Chris Daly on LinkedIn. That's the place I'm, to go. I'm and there. then uh, my big takeaway is building the trust framework. Right, combining the personal and the business pain into into one thing and building the trust framework. Yeah. yeah I think what about you? I think that's really. I think that's really the one thing. If you can get the SDRs to understand how to do that, yeah, it's much easier. Much much easier. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you for joining the show. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate you. Take care.